0: Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast better known as the Ocho, Duro, Parley, Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks. We have a lot to discuss in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. So we are gonna waste no more time. Jump in the conversation with us. You can find all our social media links for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Podchaser, TikTok. Check out the T Public Store, the new blogs, and so much more at ODPHPodcast.com. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPH. We are kicking off this edition of the podcast, talking the latest episode of of Disney Plus's newest hit.
1: The uh, bigger hit than Captain America or excuse me, Falcon and Winter Soldier.
0: Yes. The ratings for Loki, starring Tom Hiddleston, are absolutely crushing everything on streaming right now. Uh-huh. Not that we are super shocked because no. obviously you take Marvel mixing it in a little bit with a House of the Mouse and you get gold usually. That and you get the mega Uber fans of Tom Hiddleston involved.
1: Yes, because I know a couple people who specifically signed up for Disney Plus accounts like last week because of the new Hiddleston show.
0: Yeah, and this one is definitely delivering on all fronts. And we know that Disney Plus has now made a change to their streaming schedule. So no longer will the Marvel TV shows for Disney Plus come out on Fridays. Mm -hmm. They are going to be dropping every Wednesday,
1: which I kind of like better. I'm not going to lie. I do and I don't. I do, because Friday, the end of by the Friday, I am exhausted from work and life, so I am struggling to stay awake that early in the morning, because I watch the episodes before I go to work. Uh, I'm struggling to stay awake by Friday, Wednesday. I'm fresh as rain, baby.
0: Yeah, that's you. I'm kind of struggling to get through, because usually Tuesday night is a late night for me with podcast stuff, and then getting up super early in the morning, like the flip over time, is going to be tough, but we will soldier on for you our ODPH society, because we will be giving you our reviews of each episode like we always do. And in the notes of this podcast, we will put the timestamp as well, because we don't want to spoil anything. If you download this on Wednesday and you go, oh, God, I just heard about this. I got to go watch the show. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? No, we're going to give you fair warning because we don't like to spoil. We have the 72 hour embargo on our social medias. So we will not be commenting about the episodes for 72 hours from the moment they drop. Because we want to give you a chance to watch the episodes and then jump in the conversation with us. Because we love interacting with you. So that being said, we are going to start deep diving into episode two of Loki titled The Variant. We're giving you fair warning now. Last chance. Spoiler time commences in three, two, one. Pad. What did you
1: think? I thought it was a really good episode, all things considered. Uh... Excited to see some of those the revelations we got with this episode, and even more excited to see where it goes from here. Because the nice thing with this, it's only six episodes. There ain't no time to play
0: around. I don't want to be somebody that says I told you so, but did we or did we not drop the idea for le- for what the variant was going to be last week? I believe we did. Yes, we did. We didn't spoil it for anybody, but if you read the comics, you know that this was going to be a possibility. We finally saw the variant's face. And, man, what a reveal.
1: I think not even if you know the comics or read the spoilers online. I think if you just follow logical filming and and the way they presented things, (laughs) kind of obvious once you look back on it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So this one, not a super shock, but it definitely sent some tremors through the social media world. So duck spoilers after this podcast, too, if you haven't seen. Because they are really exploiting this moment. And as it should, because it's a true bombshell. Oh, yeah. Because this... Definitely caught fans off guard because nobody really saw this coming unless you read the comics, and that's why we always say get to your local comic shop and go pick up some books. Because as this episode kicks off, Loki, played by the one only Tom Hiddleston, is now a member of the TVA. Asterisks, kinda.
1: He's he's there so long as they need him, and and for all intents and purposes. And then it seems like once uh, they're done with him, they're gonna figure out what to do with him.
0: Well, the time variance is based on one. Creed, if you will. Mm -hmm. Everything must remain balanced. The sacred timeline. Yeah. The TVA does this really fine-tuned job of making sure everything is in its proper place. Mm -hmm. I don't like to go into the whole, like, uh, it has to be balanced, like Thanos. Right. But that's where they kind of teeter the line a little bit. And as we see that Mobius, M. Mobius, played by the one and only Owen Wilson, is really behind getting Loki on board with the team. Yeah. Because what they're trying to do is track down a serial killer, as it seems, taking out time variant agents throughout the stream. And they really are kind of stuck on how to go about this. That even though as advanced as their law enforcement is of time, they still need help.
1: Yeah, he's eluding capture. They they I don't think they've even really seen him. They just seen glimpses of of this variant, but they are absolutely powerless, which is astounding given the range of their powers, to stop them.
0: Yes. And as we see that Loki has now found out that it's another Loki that is the variant, it all kind of makes sense of why he's still alive. Because Mm -hmm. he's obviously skipped the timeline with the Tesseract, and he was picked up by the Time Variance Authority. He knows his future. He knows he's on borrowed time. So obviously the god of mischief is trying to cheat the clock yet Uh again. And he says, well, I might as well team up and find out what's going on. Because as this episode kicks off, we take a trip to 1985, yeah, Oshkos, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. to a run fest. Yeah. Didn't see this coming. Did not see this coming. And then we see the TVA soldiers are going through investigating the scene because they think they're on to the variance yep. trail. Yep. And it turns out that they're walking into yet another trap. Mm-hmm. And we see one of the TVA soldiers gets possessed. Yep. And is now assisting in slaughtering the rest of the team. Yeah.
1: Yeah. To the tune of uh, "We need, I Need a Hero. Yeah. I mean.
0: Oh, so good. It's so good, but it's like, man, you guys are borrowing from Guardians just a little too much with that. I'm okay with it, though. Oh, I, I am, I, I, I don't mind. The, I, the tune
1: started up. I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be amazing.
0: They're honestly giving Legends of Tomorrow a run for being the American version of Doctor Who. Yeah. Legitimately. And that's yeah. not a bad thing, but no. seeing how this is all going down, it's just a very cool scene to see. And as we see, the variant takes... The one TVA soldier that was possessed, captive. Mm-hmm. And they go through their time warp. Meanwhile, back at TVA headquarters, we see that Loki is talking with Miss Minutes, voiced by the only Terra Strong. Mm-hmm. And really kind of getting the gist of what is the expectations at the TVA. Yeah, it's and, like orientation. Yeah, and Loki is just having some fun back and forth. And this is one of the cool things with Loki's character is he can get in these verbal jousts yeah. with everybody yeah. and really keep the show a little more lighter than it should be. Like I say, it does have that Doctor Who vibe to it. Yeah. And I think that does kind of see a little parallels from David Tennant and Matt Smith in that kind of delivery when, they, yeah. when they're when they talking. Yeah. So very cool thing, not mad about it. And while this is also going on, he is explaining to the rest of the TVA soldiers about his powers and pretty much why he's asking, why don't you guys attack in the past and catch the variant before they act? Because yeah. you can obviously see everything in time. And Owen Wilson's character explains it's not exactly that easy. Mm -hmm. And it says that the more time jumping you do, the more ripple effects you can cause. Yep. And and he does make a lot of sense because if anybody is really confused with time travel, don't worry, you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. But any time that a character goes back in time or forward in time, it does cause a ripple effect if anything has changed. It's a weird law. not even if
1: anything changes, just if, like, something in it, nothing, like, major. It can be something minor.
0: Yeah, it's just a little thing can cause a complete ripple effect.
1: Butterfly effect.
0: Yeah, it's a crazy scenario. But during this point, too, Loki is really trying to make his claim to fame because he is sitting there... Acting like, I should be the leader here. Yeah. After he's now got his cool, uh, I want to say varsity jacket, but it's the very coat.
1: Well, because we got to remember, this is still 2012 Loki. He's not humbled, you know, by what happened with Dark World and then Ragnarok.
0: Yes. So, at this present time of whatever timeline they want to say they're in. I
1: think they're outside the timeline.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of a weird thing to place them. But obviously, they do a lot of jumping around. So, in this, you know, limbo area, so to speak. He is giving his opinions about like what we should be doing. Then he kind of starts talking about the wolf's mouth and noticing the surroundings. So he is mm-hmm. really breaking down what is going on with the rest of the group there. Yep. Meanwhile, Owen Wilson's character is having a, a talk with Renslayer about Loki. And what's going on?
1: Yeah, because uh, Owen Wilson is about the only person there who trusts him. Nobody else trusts him as far as they can throw him.
0: Well, I think they obviously know who he is. Oh, I mean, yeah. And it's not like he is somebody that is not on anybody's radar. He's one no, of-
1: he's he's a literal god. You know, where his entire everything he's ever said is on a very large stack of papers. Presumably, everyone knows his history, even down to like the minute details.
0: Yes. So. Like I say, when he is really trying to make his presence felt, and this is starting to rub the team wrong, and like I say, this is all kind of tying together because Renslayer wants to get rid of him in the worst way. And it's very interesting to see how driven she is about this. And obviously it's the right thing to do because we know that with Loki still being alive Mm. and he's driving his team absolutely crazy, it's only a matter of time before his true colors show. So Mobius is buying him some time. And I got to say, the com- the commitment about this is really almost telling something else. Yeah. Me. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it just yet, but it, it's going that route. Because as I say, Loki is talking with the rest of the team, and he's explaining about how the deal is with the variant, and he is going, just like I said, is back and forth with Owen Wilson. I mean, mm-hmm. they have got great chemistry yeah. together, and they definitely play off each other very smartly. And when Loki is given the assignment after dealing with the team – and Hunter B-15 is about ready to destroy him. Uh-huh. Mobius says, okay, here's the files on all the Lokis we have. Let's go through and see what you get. Yeah. And during this research, it was a very cool moment because Loki does see something that nobody else does. hmm And, Pad, what is that? He sees what happened uh, on Asgard with Ragnarok. And
1: uh, he he learns that uh, Asgard is destroyed, and that and I didn't know this. Ninth, what was it? Nine thousand nine hundred and seventy-one people died. Yes, which again, because he's twenty twelve, he's past Loki. He doesn't he doesn't know anything about Dark World. Doesn't know anything about you know what happened in between Avengers or Dark World, and then he doesn't know what happened after Dark World and with uh uh Ragnarok, and then Infinity
0: War. Yeah, it's a crazy play that he does, but he figures it out because Ragnarok resets everything. That's the yep. end of the days in the Asgardian yep. world. So when the destruction means basically it's the big reset button, he does realize that you can go hide out there and your actions will still remain, mm-hmm. but you'll be wiped away. He gets a little emotional, too, because he's reading the file
1: and he's reading what happened, and he just keeps going back and forth between all the facts, and the camera zooms in on his eye, and you do see him shed a tear.
0: Yeah, because at the end of the day, Loki is so complex of a character. Yeah. In every facet, because you think that he's just trying to do this to be evil, but there is a method to his madness. Mm-hmm. And it's a very interesting play that you can really do if you have a writer that's really creative within the comics and to see how Hiddleston's bringing this yeah. factor to the show. Yeah. It's a very cool moment.
1: I th- and I think it's also the case of like, to this point of this Loki's point, Asgard's had it pretty good. You know, we don't know of anything major that's happened or the huge losses or huge defeats or whatever so they've had it pretty good for a while kind of like a golden age i guess you could say Mm -hmm. where now he's seeing the future he's seen his future and he knows that like this isn't a possibility this ain't like a fortune teller you know looking through a crystal ball oh this might happen no this will happen yeah you know and now reading the file this has happened this will happen you know he's kind of taking this like oh shit like this is bad
0: yeah and even for loki accepting the fact that Asgard is wiped out and this many people die from it, knowing that this fate happens and there's nothing he can do about it, it's a really compelling episode er, mm-hmm. scene because, let's face it, Loki likes to think he can get out of anything. He believes he's a god because he is a god in Asgardian mythology, but yeah. for everybody else, it's like, who he's is just a... a pain in the ass. Yeah, a big one too. Yeah, But he does convince Mobius to check this theory out. So we do After take. After ruining his lunch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, well, it's Loki. He's got to do this. And, of course, obviously, messing around with the salad, explaining about Hulk and Ragnarok. I mean, it's a very cool, funny scene. I got to yeah. admit that. Yeah. Because you just see Owen Wilson just, like, he's like, man, he's like,
1: man, that's my lunch. Yeah. He's like, come on,
0: man. But he does finally convince him to test his theory out. So they wind up going to Pompeii, 79 AD. Yep. And we all know what happens there. That's a big cataclysmic yep. event. Yep. And it proves the theory is right. Yeah, because
1: he goes in there creating what would be considered a boulder dropped into a pond. You know, this ain't a stone in a pond. This is a boulder. Goes back there, starts speaking fluent Italian because reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, tells them all, hey, you're going to die. I'm from the future. And that's how I know this. We're, we're from the future, right? That, that volcano is going to explode. And they're all kind of looking at him like he's nuts, and then the volcano explodes. And they look at the timeline on uh, Owen Wilson's little wristwatch thing, and he goes, son of a bitch, no change.
0: Yeah. So it is now getting more clues about what is happening here. So this is where the episode, I think, really kind of kicks into high gear finally. Because the TVA finally has an idea what's going on. After being two steps behind, they're actually a foot forward. Because they tra- they track down the variant and figure out that the variant is going to be in 2050. Yep. In a hurricane mm-hmm. of all places, and we wind up going to RockSmart, mm-hmm. which I thought was a very cool play on words because obviously Roxanne buys out Walmart allegedly yep. in this timeline, so yep. they're now running through a Walmart store. Yep. And the TVA agents are now searching for the variant. The variant does get the upper hand because the variant knows they're coming.
1: Yeah. And, and it's a weird scene because they walk into the building and people are clearly hiding out. And there's a guy who appears to be in charge or is taking charge. Going, oh, are you FEMA? Are you government agency? Do you have a helicopter? Are you here to rescue us? And he just gets hit with the butt of one of those TVA weapons. And the weird thing to me, and maybe this was the tip off that something was up, was they're going through the store looking for the variant and they're going past sections telling you what's in each aisle. And this person comes up to you going, Do you need help? And I'm thinking, Dude, it's a hurricane outside that like all these people are about to die. Like, why are you working?
0: And Loki figures that out. Yeah. And when he's asked by Hunter 15 or B15, Could this be Loki? Yeah. He's like, Absolutely. And then sure enough, the possession takes place on Hunter B-15. Yep. There's a little fight scene going on there. Then the transfer is out to somebody else. And we finally have the one-on-one with Loki talking to the variant. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's figuring out, well, what are you up to? Yeah. And it's a cool, easiest way I can describe it. It's a cool spy-on-spy spy yeah. moment because they both know the other is working Everybody else,
1: yeah, and I and I completely missed the part where they they said uh, he uh, the variant can uh, possess people. I thought it was just that version of Loki uh, shapeshifting.
0: Yeah, it it was something that they have kind of lightly touched upon in the sure. past. They they don't they don't use it a lot though. because sure. Loki does break down about his shapeshifting and projections and how he works with that primarily earlier in the episode. Right. but they wanted to just tease about the uh, possession because. This is something I think that Loki was a little bit teasing around when he got to Tesseract and Avengers. Because mm-hmm. obviously using that stone, he yeah. ha- he's kind of learned a little bit. So it's possible in the other timeline, they just haven't really dived into it. Could be. But we do have that face-to-face, and they are kind of saying, oh, how are you doing this? Oh, I'm doing this to track you. Well, you know that's how this is going to play out. The variant does offer a, you a know, little piece of advice that, Loki, you're on borrowed time. You're mm-hmm. not going to do this, and mm-hmm. you're not going to help and Loki does do a counter offer and says, well, why don't we work together? We can take everybody out here. Yeah. The variant is not hearing this. Not impressed. Brushes this off, goes back, and we now see the true form of the variant emerge. And lo and behold, mm-hmm. Loki is a female. Yup. Now, if you know the comics, you know that Loki has done this in the past. Loki is gender fluid. So we do see the first appearance of Lady Loki, played by Sophia Di Martino. Okay. And obviously, this is a cool jaw-dropping jaw-dro- moment because yeah. if you're not used to the comics and you've not seen the variations of Loki throughout Marvel comics alone, like let alone if you read Norse mythology, you can find out about all this stuff too. This is a very eye-popping moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, what is happening? Yeah, especially if you're only, like you said, only familiar with the movies. Yeah, because Marvel has done a great job about bringing certain elements in with different writers. Yeah. About seeing, okay, how Loki can be presented because at certain points, Loki was a woman. At certain points, Loki is a teenager. Yeah. Most notably, which I don't know if they're going to go this route, even though I'm leaning they are, He's a teenager that does have a certain run with a young Avengers team. Mm. And to see how they're kind of meshing everybody together for that. The writing's on the wall. It kind of sets itself up a little bit. Now, am I saying it's going to be that when it happens? No, but I'm leaving like a little chance that it might, just depending on how this all plays out. And then we do find out a quick cutaway shot that Mobius and the rest of the team is going through the Rocksmart. Yep. And they find the kidnapped agent. Yep. And the agent is crying. Yeah. And the agent is just apologizing left and right. And Mobius is like, what did you do? And what does the agent say? I gave up the, uh, the coordinates. Lo- the for location. The locations for the time variant. How to find them. Yes. So now the variant has all the information she needs to go get the power of the time variants. Yeah. The three huge figures that are watching over everything involving time. Mhm. Pad, what a heck moment this was. That was jaw-dropping to say the least. Yeah, that this scheme is so far detailed that the end game is going to be Loki wants time. Yeah. So weird that Wh- the- which is
1: again, Loki it's not the most unbelievable thing. Yeah, it's not completely... Obli- it's
0: probably low on the totem pole for him, all things considered. Yeah, because he's just wanted to rule, because he feels that he's the rightful heir. Now he's got a chance to rule over time in every facet. Yeah, and so he
1: so can truly rule with a glorious yeah, purpose.
0: Yeah, but this female version of Loki, we'll just call her Lady Loki, because I know that allegedly in the episode it was dropped that it was Sylvie... I don't, I don't I did remember. not catch that, no. but I did get some social we'll media. To, I'll have to rewatch it and yeah, see. I missed that part because I believe Sylvia, if I'm not mistaken was like a quick character in the comics.
1: Maybe. Just
0: but I don't know enough to really deep dive in about that at this time. I'm going to do some research post podcast for it. But Lady Loki has her scheme all set up. Yeah. And is ready to drop all the charges to wipe away everything from the timeline. So she is never there. Yeah, well, and it's funny because you think,
1: you you know, you hear this and then you think, oh, well, presumably when uh, Hiddleston went up to her and proposed the whole plan, she probably thought, well, yeah, no, I'm going to refuse that because I'm already halfway through that plan.
0: Yeah, that she doesn't need him. It is just you're an accessory. And I know what you're going to do because guess what? That's what I would do. Say I'm you. Yeah. How they have to get the upper hand on the other is going to be the driving point now from the series. Because What would Thor do? Exactly. You have to figure out, okay, what is a one step I can get on my, my clone? Because yeah. they are. Yeah. We don't know the full scale of the powers of Lady Loki because, obviously, we're talking timelines,
1: Mm -hmm. multiverses. So this could be the Loki from the future or it could be a Loki from another universe.
0: Yeah. Don't know. And when this is happening, too, they do cut away back to TVA headquarters. Oh, my God. And we see the monitor go nuts, go completely crazy. And you are seeing all types of timelines
1: show up. Yeah, because what do they say? That somebody dropped a bomb into the sacred
0: timeline. Yes. Or bombs. Might have been plural. Because that's what she was setting up the entire time during this period. Well, yeah, because you see those weird
1: circular uh, devices that are just sitting there, and then the portals open up, and I'm like, oh, this is something that the TVA detected, and they're pulling out of the time. Oh, no, that's not them. This is this is her. Yeah, because oh, when, oh, she, shit.
0: when she possessed the one agent, yeah, she, got control. She, she now has all the secrets, and that's what she was freaking out when she was telling Mobius. So you know everything has now changed. Where they thought they were, is completely 180 They're going to be working a lot of overtime. Oh, absolutely. They're going to need to get more help in because they can't figure this out. Get that time and a half. (laughs) Facts. Absolutely facts. Then we see a timeline is opening. Lady Loki walks through, and then our Loki follows through.
1: And this is with, uh, what was it, Uh, Hunter B-15 and Owen Wilson running after them going, no, stop, stop, stop,
0: stop. And when has he ever listened? Exactly. Never. He is playing his own game. On to next week we go. So, Pad, thoughts on the episode?
1: Uh, super exciting episode. Uh, i got to give credit to uh, Kate Heron, who directed the episode, and then Alyssa Karisik, who wrote the episode, because this one was awesome.
0: Yeah, this definitely kept the momentum going from the debut. It is going to be the water cooler talk wherever you are, if you are talking about pop culture. Because this moment where we see that Loki is a female mm-hmm. is going to catch a lot of people off guard, and I got
1: to give and I got to give social media a little bit of credit because with the Luke Skywalker uh, spoiler on the season finale of Mandalorian, that nonsense was on there within like ten minutes after I finished the episode. Oh yeah, this one though I did not see Lady Loki t- trending on Twitter until probably. Six or seven hours after I watched the episode,
0: it was delayed. I will give you. I gotta I, give. I, I, w- I gotta give people a little bit of credit. I will. I will give you that it was late. I was hoping more people laid off, but you know, baby steps. Before yeah. we get back to a spoiler-free cyberspace, maybe one day, one day. But this was definitely a big moment, and now there's going to be a lot more questions getting brought up. And it was already kind of tipped off a little bit about the gender fluidity. Oh yeah. So it's not a super shock. Yeah. But it was a cool moment to see on the show because, like we touched upon, if you go through the history of Loki at Marvel, we've seen various incarnations.
1: Wasn't he a horse at one point?
0: I believe so. Oh, like it's I mean, there's so many different timelines you could see from obviously Journey in the Mystery was one of the longest, if not the longest Marvel comic at one point in an issue wise. It is something that to be said about how you can still make a character fresh and interpret it. This was a very cool moment to see and see the rest of the team is starting to really develop. And we now have an idea of what this whole show is going to be about Mm -hmm. because at first it was just, okay, we have to deal with Loki in the timeline. And now what happens? And now this is the mysterious figure that we saw in all of the early uh, promotions for it that we all thought was Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow character at one point. Yep, This is where we say, no, it's a little different. It is a cool play to see. And now where we go from here is going to be literally anybody's guess because the timeline is now splintered. Even if they do catch the variant, Mm -hmm. can they fix everything?
1: That's going to be a million-dollar question.
0: Because I don't think they will. I think this is how you spawn into bringing in the Spider-Verse yeah, into th- Marvel.
1: This could lead into Multiverse of Madness, or, or at least the elements of it. Oh, absolutely.
0: That I think they're going to factor this in, and is it possible? Not saying we're going to see a cameo from said actors, yeah. but will there be a, w- a mention of WandaVision? let will say there could be a name drop. Yeah, I think you're going to hear a name drop at some point throughout, and I think that only helps the show because after this, we really don't have anything lined up involving the cosmic-slash-big-heavy-hitters of Marvel.
1: Just Eternals later in the year.
0: Right. But it goes pretty much to the street-oriented heroes like right. Shang-Chi, right. Moon Knight, uh, she- Black Widow, She-Hulk, Black Widow, Yeah, she- Hulk, yeah nothing, nothing to this level, which yeah. Eternals is kind of on this level, but I don't think
1: they'll be delving into
0: this. No, they won't be touching upon that. Like, you're going to see Eternals be something completely odd a different look from Marvel. Mm-hmm. And how that's going to play out, man, that's a whole different ballgame right there. But for what they're doing with Loki, two episodes in, they're nailing it out of the park. Yeah, A lot of people are excited about this show. Marvel's history continues. I'm definitely excited to see what it's going to be. This is why I'm going to be drinking extra coffee on Wednesday morning, so watch this before I go <laughs> in. So we have something to talk about here on the podcast. But you heard our takes. Now we want to hear yours. Hashtag ODPH Loki, episode two, the variant. Let's talk, shall we? What's your thoughts? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Coming to you live from whatever podcast you're currently
2: listening to, it's your boy, Jay West, with my co-host, Mac East, from the We Get Dub podcast.
1: What up, nerds? It's me, Mac East, and we got a badass anime podcast for you. We got hot sauce. We got hot takes. We got booze and banter.
2: And you can listen to us on all major platforms. The We Get Dub podcast. It's harder than a Goku gut punch. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And you know we have a lot to say about the CW's latest hit. Uh-huh. Superman and Lois. Yup. And how jaw-dropping last week got. I was actually going to say, Pad. hmm I was actually surprised that it really did not generate the big ripple effect I thought it was going to with the bombshell reveal from last huh. week. Yeah. Uh, it, didn't, it kind of flew under the radar. Unless yeah. you've been watching the show like our own Coach Duffy, like Dre Driven. And like everybody else, we keep hyping this show about because man, is it clicking on all cylinders. This is such a home run for the CW. We need to start deep diving into this week's episode entitled, Oh Mother, Where Art Thou? So, you know how we do here on the ODPH. We give you fair warning and we talk spoilers. So, if you're not familiar and you want to watch this, watch the episode and then jump back in the episode because Pad and I are going to start deep diving in three, two, one. Pad? what you think?
1: I thought it was a great episode. I'm glad they didn't let off the gas. They very well could have and just like delayed it for a week and done something else, but they didn't and they jumped right into the action and with the bombshell last week and kept it going.
0: I have to agree like this was a solid episode. This might not have been my favorite though because sure. I thought a couple things felt rushed and it just didn't like happen organically sure. for, for my liking, but I'm not saying this was a bad episode by any means. I really want to clarify that out of the gate because as we talk about, we get the bombshell of all bombshells last week that Superman has a brother, that Morgan Edge has really been his long-lost brother from Krypton. Mm-hmm. Now, did anybody see this coming? Nope. This flew completely under the radar. And then when this happened, you can tell who was watching the show live because Twitter blew up a little bit Yeah, for everybody that watched the show live. Everybody else, it was kind of flying a little bit like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. Because everybody thought it was a joke, like it was a reference of just they're both Kryptonian. hmm No. We get a full deep dive into the character. And I have to say, it was pulled off very, very splendidly by oh, Adam yeah. Rayner. Yeah. He really was matching up with our Superman, Tyler Hoechlin, and breaking down the history of his character and explaining how he came to Earth along with Kal-El His name on Krypton was Tar Mm Rowe, who is the son of Zeta Rowe and Lara, who is Clark's mother. Yep. And explaining how he came and when he landed to Earth, it was not exactly the easy goings that Clark had.
1: Wasn't exactly sunshine and daisies.
0: No. What happened to him, Pat?
1: He got accosted and shot at. Yeah. He was getting hunted. Yep.
0: Which is a crazy scene that you see happen to him.
1: I was having I was having uh, kind of like flashbacks to Brightburn a little bit.
0: Yeah. I was too like yeah. I okay, we're on the same page about this one. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we're really going Brightburn here. Oh boy. All right, let's get weird. I'm down for it. And Clark is just going Wait, how does this happen? You're not related to my mother. Like this and he is explaining, no, your father is the one who Laura married. Yeah. But we were genetically matched on Krypton first. Yeah, and it's a, you have to remember when you're talking with aliens and Kryptonians. Well, then
1: they didn't. He say that his, their mother was promised to uh,
0: Morgan Edge's father. Yes, yeah, yeah, that was the whole thing. It was promised, but it was broke Promise off. Promised, broke off. Yeah, it's just like a weird thing about like Kryptonian it's customs. Like a, it's Like a soap opera. Yeah, which I mean, it makes sense. I mean, we've seen a little bit of this in. The shows throughout the years. I mean, Krypton kind of touched lightly about it when yeah. it was on sci-fi and, yeah. and different variances through the comics. I mean, it's kind of a area that if you really want to tell a good story, you have the platform to do it. You just got to really nail it. The show did, I got to admit, because you're really getting the backstory of like, okay, this is really how this things went down. Like, what is going on? Yeah. And you get the whole idea of Morgan Edge's plan. And his plan is basically he's bringing Krypton back. He's going to rule the world. He's going to rule the world. He's like, that's what we're meant to do. We're not meant to just live here in peace. I'm bringing Kryptonians back. And Clark is saying, no, you're not. Yeah, This is not how this goes down. I was, like, I was having flashbacks to Superman Returns, kind of. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, it had that kind of vibe to it. And it's not a bad thing. It was just like, okay, getting that vibe. But then Edge says one thing to him, and I immediately went, Oh, Mm -hmm. this is an interesting play that if Superman doesn't take his side and join the Kryptonian movement, he will be eradicated. I immediately go, okay, he's the eradicator of this show. Could be. I'm on board. Yeah. Okay, let's begin. So during this whole time, we do get a quick flashback to what's going on in the Cushing House, and obviously they're dealing with Kyle and how he has been a dick. Yeah, but there's reasons for why he is who he is. I mean, that's the one thing about him that he's so smarmy in his own right, but you understand why. like Eric I'm not
1: Valdes- going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to play nice. He's a dick.
0: Yeah, he, he plays a dick on the show. But Eric Valdez is doing a great job being it, and he definitely is teasing with the family a little bit because he's like, well, yeah, I might have just try killing Lois Lane and such, but uh, we're not going to tell Sarah. It, no. We, we don't need to. Reasons. And, yeah, reasons. And obviously she's dealing with her own teenage drama with this because of what is going on because she yeah. has no idea what is happening. Oh,
1: yeah, like her mom doesn't, I don't think, fully knows. What, like she knows something's up that it's not just, oh, the, the alcohol excuse, but he's not telling her, and they're telling the daughter even less. Yeah.
0: So when this is all happening – Sarah takes off, and she's, and Lana is really trying her best to really smooth the fences as much as kind of Mario Kirky is doing a phenomenal job in this role, and she is really got she got some time to shine this episode. Yeah, too. I mean she was the MVP of it, albeit though when we get into it, I, I'm gonna be like, yeah, you, it was this was her episode, but man, what a weird episode in its own right yeah. too. So during this, obviously the family is having some issues. We go to the Kent family right after that, and they're. Being honest and open, talking with everybody about what's going on, which is still taking me a little bit it's to weird. get used to. It's weird. It is. I mean, obviously, you see Jordan and Jonathan are sitting around. And they're like, yeah. So, oh, yeah, understandable. Oh, I got it. Yeah, I get it. Okay, so this is what happened, and you have a brother, and we have an uncle, and all right, we're going to get weird. And Clark is like, okay, I don't want to leave because y'all got attacked. And the family is saying, no, go. No, go. We, to the, we got this. Go to the Fortress of Solitude. Jo- Jonathan.
1: The house is still surrounded by the the military. Yeah. Like,
0: they're good. Yeah. General Lane and company are sitting there camped out and ready to rock and roll. Like, there is nothing that they're not sitting there. And even Jonathan's like, what? I just took care of the other guy. I'm good. Like, yeah. pff, we got the weapons. I'm I'm ready to rock and roll. I mean, Jordan Elsass, what can we say? MVP of the show right now. But Clark does take off. He does meet with the AI of his father at the Fortress of Solitude. And it is confirmed. He's like, yeah, that he's, could happen. Yeah, he's an AI. And he's like, "Ah, oh, listen, this is going to be awkward. Yeah, um, I don't know how we explain this, but... Reasons. Yeah, it's just reasons. So Jor-El is telling him, yeah, you do have a brother... Um, whoops, forgot about that. Sorry. Yeah, so we get the quick flashback to Earth because Clark is obviously like, okay, my head is spinning... And like when I say we go to Earth, it's more grounded where we go to because we go to the Cushing family, and Kyle is now having the heart to heart with Lana about the process of everything yeah. going on. And, and yeah,
1: well, he's, and, he's he's starting to tell the truth a little bit. Shocking.
0: Yeah, he's well, he's. He's kind of screwed no matter what. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yes. But while they're talking, Lois decides to pull up to the house. <laughs> yeah.
1: And instantly, Kyle S- goes. Flips a uh, switch that gets flipped. Zero to 100 real quick because what does he do? Uh, super speeds across the room, which is highly unnecessary. Even Superman wouldn't do this. Yeah. Uh, grabs him by the throat and then pushes him against
0: the wall. Both of them. Uh-huh. So he has Lana in one hand, Lois in the other.
1: If she well, if if uh, Lana wasn't already drawn up the papers on this guy, this is really drawn up the papers. Oh, yeah.
0: But then General Lane comes kicking in the door with the Kryptonite crew and just absolutely takes him out easy. Well,
1: well and this is after Lois punches him in the head, and he drops, and Lo, and uh, Lo, Lo, not Lois, Lana looks and goes, huh? and she goes, I'm prepared, and she's holding Kryptonite.
0: Yeah. Well, you, gotta admit, you have to admit. She the, she knows
1: what he can do. She's seen the powers, and she knows how to beat it because, well, she's married to Superman.
0: The Kent family knows this. This is why, like, I say I don't have any issue with Batman walking around with kryptonite. No. There has to be a failsafe if he decides to go completely off the rails. Yeah. And Lois knows this as well, too. So there's, like, two people that he trusts holding kryptonite, Lois and Batman. Now, we're not seeing Clark or Bruce Wayne just yet on the show. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We I, we still might, but Lois is hand, obviously handling business, and the DoD goes and grabs Kyle and, and takes him to the makeshift base yep. in small town Smallville. Mm-hmm. Not noticeable at all.
1: No, totally hidden. No,
0: takes up like five city blocks <laughs> at least. This, this thing is a monster. So, like, how are they trying to remain under the radar? Nope, we're just setting up shop. They have Kyle in a kryptonite cage. Yeah, and General Lane. I mean, you have to give Dylan Walsh some credit here. He plays the absolute jerk soldier. Real smarmy. And does not give you-know-whats any time of day. If he
1: had the time, he would have exploited him for information.
0: Yep. He is sitting there torturing the absolute crap out of Kyle and is not having any second thought about doing it. No. Because he is, I want to say, it's Lex Luthor-like. Kind of. Just going to put it out there. You you, You can't camouflage that. He is sitting there and just cranking up the kryptonite and torture him because he's like, we're going to find out what's going on. Meanwhile, and I don't want to touch upon this too much. We had the little teenage drama where the the Kent boys are at the diner with Sarah and they decide, well, you know what? We're going to tell you everything. (sighs) Yeah, boys. This is time and place. Time and place. This is not is not not it. This is not it. I understand you guys want to do the right thing, but you the one's got a crush on her. Yeah, you can't go fessing everything up. It's just going to fail miserably. If the
1: circumstances were different and it wasn't her father involved, I get it. Yeah. Sure, but this is family.
0: Yeah. So then this prompts Sarah to go, well, I'm going to go check the base out. And the boys are like, well, that's fine. Our grandpa is the head of general. He's a four-star general. Yeah, which, yet again, this is where I started having a little problem with the episode. Yeah. This was so easy for them to get access. Oh, yeah. And I'm oh, like, yeah. General Lane. He got right to the damn door. You know what's going on here. What are you doing? And let alone, he's like, yeah. Like, after, like, talking from Jonathan. And Jonathan, like I said, he's the MVP of the show because he pulled this off. I'm like, how the hell are you pulling this off? I got nothing on this. Winds up letting Sarah go in and see him in the cage, which I'm yeah. like, okay, that's an emotional moment. I'll give you. It's awkward is all. But, all right. Yet again, Jonathan Kent, MVP. Enough said. Then we start kind of figuring out what's going on with everything going on because Lois is trying to talk to Lana about what's happening, and Clark is saying, okay, well, here's the plan that's going on. He's bringing this back. They tracked down the scientist that was working on making the Kryptonian army. Yep. He says, you can't reverse the process. I don't really know all that much about yeah, it. Yeah, trying to bluff him out. So they wind up taking the machine back to the base. And getting him to kind of fest, well, you can, but... We need the creator. You need the creator of the machine. And lo and behold, who is that pad? Uh, Clark's mother, uh, biological mother. Yes. Whose conscious is in this machine. Conveniently enough. Yeah. Which I'm going, okay, this is really awkward. We'll just file it as reasons. Yeah. Because it didn't make any damn sense to me. Sorry, this is like the one time they really trip up on the plot line for me that why are all the Kryptonian technology absorbing the essence of the Kryptonians? Like, is this like a normal thing? Maybe. Uh, apparently. I haven't seen this happen in the comics too much, but I digress. So we go there, and it's basically like, well, somebody has to volunteer to become Clark's mom. Yeah. And lo and behold, we do get that volunteer. Yeah. And
1: who is that, Pat? Uh, Lana. Yes. She's like, I fucked up this entire time. I've kind of put us in this mess. I have to
0: fix it. So Clark's former girlfriend in Smallville Is now going to become her mom. Soap opera writers couldn't even write this. Goddamn. This just got awkward. Yeah. Excuse my language. But man, oh man, oh man, this got awkward as fuck. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Lana goes in, she starts convulsing. Yeah. Yeah. She's getting powered up. Everybody's freaking out after Lois gives like the worst pep talk ever. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. like I said, this is where the episode really got weird. And it's like, ah, uh, this all feels forced. That, like, all of a sudden, no, you can't do it. Well, yeah, I guess you can. Because Lana's like, I've been here my entire life. Kryptonite, or kryptonite Kryptonite's not going to phase me. Winds up coming out and she sees Clark as Superman and, and goes, hello, son. Mother. Oh, man.
1: I, I, mother was such an awkward way to say it. I wish he would. Like, mom would have been more powerful. Yeah. For me. Like, just go, mother. Like, just in like such an alien way. And I get aliens, but still, just saying, mom, you know, felt, well, a, little, felt a little better.
0: At least he didn't go, are you my mummy? <laughs> oh, God. I, w- I, I had visions of that. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Like, okay, where are you? At least he didn't say Martha. Yeah. I, that was my second thing I was waiting on. If he was going to Freudian slip and say it, and I was like, oh, God, here goes the ultimate word in the DC universe. Why did you say
1: that
2: name?
0: Marvel has the ultimate nullifier. DC has the word Martha. It's a crazy thing. So we go back to the episode because now Lana is working on the machine and they realize, okay, we need power, and it has to be something to encompass everybody who's now turned into the Kryptonian army. So the scientist goes, well, you're going to need something really, really big for this. And even mm-hmm. Lana figures yeah. out it's going to be essentially the sun. Yeah. So Clark, in I will say that a, a redeeming point of this whole like yeah. crazy sci-fi segment, yeah, does figure out a plan to do this because once he goes and flies to meet up with his brother. Yeah. Man, that's still so weird saying Road. Mm-hmm. They wind up having this excursion where. He's calling him out. He's trying to get like the one final plea in, in typical yeah. Superman fashion. Well, so,
1: superhero fashion, yeah,
0: yeah. So I mean, I'm not super shocked at this. No pun intended. But they wind up flying, and at this point, the signal goes out to the entire Krypton, Kry- Kryptonian Kryptonian army that is fallville Like it is just such a odd thing because. Obviously, everybody starts flying out of Smallville.
1: And it's like the whole goddamn town, except for the army.
0: Yeah, and the kids. The kids are sitting there watching this like, Minus minus Lois,
1: the the two uh, kids, and then Lana and the army. Literally everyone takes off.
0: Yes. It is absolutely wild to see. So now Superman is flying with the object in his hand. I believe they called it the, the Eradicator. I think so, yeah. So I'm just going, okay, well, we went from having a character named the Eradicator to an object. Okay, going to let it slide. I'm not going to worry about too much. And he winds up having everybody shoot their heat vision at them. Now, it is solar energy. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a cool thing yeah. because everybody's basically superpowering it. Yep. And Morgan Edge is the last one to figure this out, is trying to stop everybody, but this fails. Yeah. And then once the Eradicator explodes... Everybody that was powered up is now depowered. Yep. And ironically, they land safe and sound on the ground. Yeah. Which I'm okay with. Like, we don't need to go complete Snyderverse. Kids are, kids are going to be watching. I can understand it. Yeah. I, like I said, we don't need to go Snyderverse. I get it. Not mad. It is what it is. But yep. I was just like, yeah. maybe y'all should have been closer to the ground or maybe Superman flies and grabs everybody. I don't know. I'm just going to put that out there. It is what it is. So, the day is saved, so to speak. The ripple effect does hit Kyle in the kryptonite cage. Yep. He's fine. Yep. The only people that are not fine by this is Clark, yeah. who is definitely drained. Yeah,
1: which is, this is kind of like a playoff of the comics more recently, uh, where they gave him a power where it was kind of like a last resort type of thing, where mm-hmm. he would expunge all of his energy and his power you know in kind of like a uh, like a solar blast or like you know like kind of like a sun going supernova type of thing which it's like a last resort he doesn't like to use it often but then um it does kind of make him human for a couple of days or a couple of weeks
0: yeah it's something that when it drains him it drains him i mean this is kind of recent power that they've done over the past Five years, I'm going to say. Yeah. Maybe maybe within 10.
1: I think it was when it was under New 52 Superman, not current Superman in the comics. Because current current Superman in the comics is old Superman in the New 52 timeline. Again, timelines, confusing.
0: Reasons. Yeah, that's why I remember they introduced that power yeah. late, and yeah. it's like, okay, I'm still trying to figure that whole thing out. But... I think,
1: yeah, I think it's a playoff of that.
0: Yeah, which, I mean, it's cool that they decided to add that into the current mythos, because I don't mind when they borrow from the New 52 and add it in here when it makes sense. Yeah. When it doesn't make sense, it's like, eh, not my cup of java. Yeah. So he is now back at the Fortress of Solitude to recover. We do see that Leslie, uh, Morgan Edge's assistant, has now met them. They're in a desert area. Yeah. And he is saying, "Well, you know, everything is down, but we're not out." Well, she goes,
1: right. she well." She goes, "Are you at? Are we at?" And he goes, "For now."
0: Yeah. So he has a whole other scheme going on. I think it's because he knows where another place the kryptonite landed, and he's going to go start mining there. Yeah. It was an absolute wild episode, and like I say, Pat, I'll give you your th- let you have your thoughts, and I'll kind of finish it off with mine.
1: Uh, great episode, really exciting, and again, like I say, every week, can't wait to see where they go from here. I thought it was a
0: solid episode, but the whole thing with Lana, and we have to remember, too, she was demothered when the Eradicator went off, too. Yeah, That was just weird, and I just, like, was sitting there going, oh, man, this is so cringy because his ex-girlfriend is now his mom. Yeah, okay. I mean, I get it for the storyline purpose, and like I said, I was not mad that Lana finally got a chance to shine. Like Emmanuel Kriki, I I do think is a great actress. And she finally got something to really stand out in this episode. Cause she's always done a, a great job, you know, being, you know, pa- pairing off with Lois and bantering back and forth and same thing, with Clark. So now she really got a chance to really shine in this episode. I just thought like the whole setup of like, well, the Kryptonians are like DNA downloaded into the machines. Yeah. Like that's still so weird to me, but it is what it is. But I thought it was a solid episode. Like yeah. It wasn't. Just like a couple of things here and there. I would say this is, might be my least favorite episode thus far, but it doesn't mean it was bad. And I want to stress that point. I thought that it gave a lot of different takes on the characters that we've seen. And that's one strong suit that this show has had. Yeah. To flip the Eradicator into something, who knows what that's going to be. We got at least the backstory that they didn't back out and say it was a play on words that Superman does have a brother. And where we're going from here is going to get weird because, like I said, the whole backstory is he didn't get the nice upbringing that Clark did. No. His upbringing was he's getting hunted. Real, real shit. Yeah. And basically in jail his entire life until he got free and then wiped out everybody. Like, Pat, you touched upon it right perfectly. Brightburn. It was Brightburn. And it's going to be interesting to see how they portray that on this show, but I'm still here for it. Thought they did a solid job with this episode. But we gave you our takes, now we want to hear yours. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag, ODPHPod. Superman and Lois on the CW. Episode 10, titled, Oh Mother, Where Art Thou? Let us know your thoughts. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
2: In the not too distant future, following the rapid succession of World Wars Three and Four, plus the hidden horrors of Secret World War II, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to The Last Comic Shop. Rate, review, and subscribe to our weekly comic book reviews on all the major podcasting platforms at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com.
0: Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And Pat is actually not in the room for this one because he actually started binge watching Fear the Walking Dead. And he doesn't want to get the finale spoiled. And man, was it a finale. I cannot rave enough about how they pulled off Season 6 and the ending. It has been absolutely bonkers this season, and I can't wait to deep dive into it. So if you haven't caught up yet and you want to avoid spoilers for the season finale, Episode 16 of Season 6, entitled The Beginning, I'm giving you fair warning now because I'm going to start deep diving in three, two, one. Well, what did I think? Man, oh man, oh man, there is a lot to digest from this because... Morgan's group played by the one and only Lenny James has been trying this end of the season to fight off the absolute madman known as Teddy, who is pad's favorite psychopath, John Glover and his doomsday cult from setting off a nuclear weapon that they found in the submarine that's above shore. And they finally get to that final crest where the villains are facing their heroes. And, the heroes are too late. Very Watchman-esque. And as we kick off this episode, we see that that missile has now gone off. So Morgan and his survivors are displaced throughout the land and ba- bracing for impact. And we jump into a character we haven't seen in a while, Rachel, who is carrying her child through the apocalypse. And we're seeing that basically she has the worst possible luck. Bridget Canales, who plays Rachel... Did a great job with the scene as she's going through, and as she's trying to change the tire on her car, she winds up having the car jack break and fall on her leg, thus almost severing it. Kudos to the special effects department yet again. The makeup job they did for this wound was phenomenal, as we see that she is trying desperately to carry your young infant child with her, to try getting help because she knows the end is near and during this journey she knows that she cannot go any further with this wound and she winds up just sitting down and taking a knife to her stomach and killing herself her thought process being that she would turn into a zombie and have the newborn baby on her back and the dog that she has tied herself to would be able to drag her for help so it's a very unique way to continue her story on and Definitely set the tone for the rest of the episode because once this missile has gone off and Morgan's group of survivors knows the end is here, it becomes very, very dire straits. And then we go to an anthology style for the rest of the episode where every character has a final arc and they're broken into little segments throughout the episode. So you do know that... Everybody has their final moments for the season. And I thought this was very cool. We get to see Daniel leading the group, and they are trying to find a safe zone because they're trying to avoid the apocalypse that is happening. And this is definitely one of the moments that definitely threw everybody off for a loop. Ruben Blades, who's been playing Daniel Salazar, did a great job with this role too. And as they're going through trying to get to their mysterious bunker, they do wind up running into... Do we call him an old friend at this point? That's what I don't know. Nick stalls Riley, who is captured and brought to the group. And at this point, too, Daniel is being very, very skeptical because they have him in the tank, and as they're trying to go for help, they do know that they're being stopped, and something just doesn't seem right about this whole incident. And as the tank has to break down, because during this escape, the brakes go out. Daniel has a one-on-one moment with Riley, and Riley is in there getting interrogated, and he does let this really interesting line slip about how the Phoenix is going to rise through all of this. And during this point, too, Daniel is being very suspicious, and we've touched upon this season. He's had a very rough go-ahead, and where he is at this point is really interesting to see because he is breaking down, why is Riley here? Why did Raleigh, who brought him to the group, being so coy about this? And during their back and forth trying to fix the SWAT truck that they're all riding in, figuring out what Riley's doing, Raleigh lets it also slip, too, about how the Phoenix would rise up and they'd be able to go on and move from here. During this point, Daniel realizes something is off with Raleigh, grabs a gun and shoots him, which is a crazy moment that nobody saw coming. And it's broken down when the rest of the group that's surrounding him, Luciana, Charlie, uh, Jacob, and Wes— are all going, what did you do that for? He goes, he's the mole. And he figures out that he's been working with Riley the entire time. In which Riley fesses up during this moment. It's an absolutely crazy scene to intake, But it just goes to show about how deep-rooted Teddy's master plan has been. And there was a mole and There's breaking down this entirely throughout the point A to point B. Phenomenal job by the writers to put this in. And during this go-ahead, too, Charlie winds up grabbing a gun. And during the struggle, when Riley tries making a motion to grab another weapon, she, she shoots him. So, this is now going all types off the rails. It's so crazy to see the back and forth happen about this. Because as Riley's bleeding out, he fesses up about Riley and he fesses up about how they, the coordinates they were going to was never for a safe house. It was going for something else, basically, a trap to watch the world die. And as Daniel is leading this group here and he's trying to really figure out what's going on. He does get a voice over the radio and he's trying to figure out who it is, but it's also coordinates going on. So he says, All right, he makes the executive decision. Okay, let's get somewhere and go figure out because right now time is not our essence. We got the van working again. We got to go. And when they finally wind up going to the location, it's a little later in the episode, but still, this is very impactful. They do see that Riley has now died to his wounds. And they leave him for dead, so he's now become a zombie. And there's a helicopter that pulls up, and it has a certain logo on it that if you've been watching The Walking Dead and the spin-off show, you know who this is. It's the CRM. So now things are getting very, very interesting. And if I may use a Marvel turn, it's all coming together. So it's a crazy scene, and we do find out that the pilot of this is Isabel who's tied to Al from the group, who we really haven't heard anything from since Episode 3 of this season. So it's a very cool throwback, tying everything together, and I love seeing this. So that group of our heroes escapes in time from the nuclear explosion going off. Then we get thrown into the story of Dwight and Sherry. Now, this has been something that's been going back and forth. Austin Emilio, since coming over from the main show, has done a great job, and finally reunited with his wife, Sherry, who's played by Christine Evangelista, and their little saga has just been, where do we go from here since they've fought so hard to get reunited? And they do make a break, and they're riding on horseback. And it's just deciding of, how are we going to go out? This is where we need to decide what are we going to do. Because Sherry is feeling very guilt ridden and since they've gone back together, they really haven't had time to find their own way together. And it's a very cool scene Do you finally see them be a couple for once. And as they're going to this cabin that they're looking for shelter, they do find out that some of the extremists from the cult have taken over this cabin. So what do they do? They wind up actually freeing the family that's being kept hostage. They wind up killing one of the men, and they also shoot one of the others in the legs so he can sit outside and watch the world burn because what they're saying is maybe we should start being good guys and taking a more stronger role in this. It's a very cool... I want to say redemption arc, so to speak, but it kind of gives you the direction that Dwight has come a long way since his beginnings as Negan's right-hand man on the main show. So it was a very cool moment to see. And as you see, they wind up going into a storm shelter as the explosions are going off. Then we get to, I would say, one of the stronger storylines of the entire season, and that has been Teddy and Dakota. Albeit this was a very creepy scene, uh, it's just to see how much corruption Teddy has done to young Dakota and to see how they have been progressing forward. I mean, Zoe Coletti, who's been playing Dakota the entire season has been doing a stand-up job and just been such an antagonist and such a conflicted character and seeing how Teddy has been manipulating her since day one. And it's almost like to the point it's just like borderline cringeworthy, their connection because Teddy is just has her so brainwashed. But as they're at their secret rendezvous location, they get surprised by John Dory Sr. and June, played by the one and only Keith Carradine and Jenna Elfman. And it's a very cool back and forth because, as we know, John Dory Sr. has been trying to track down Teddy for years, and is the one responsible for putting him in jail in the first place. And as you see the standoff, because everybody's got their guns drawn, he goes to Dakota, I forgive you for what you've done. She, he winds up forgiving her for killing John Dory Jr. Powerful scene going on, and you really see the emotion pour out at Dakota of how conflicted she is. And during this entire time, like John Dory puts his gun down and is saying to her, you don't want to go this route. He's just using you and breaks down everything that is going on with Teddy because his master plan was not that he cared about Dakota. He needed somebody else to activate the rest of the keys. It's a two-person job. So once this starts sinking in, Teddy makes a move for a gun and is immediately shot out of his hand by June. So what they wind up doing is it turns out this is an underground bunker. They, June and John Dory go down. Dakota winds up making a final stand with Teddy on the surface as the bombs are about ready to go off. So Teddy's master plan of continuing the missiles is now in danger. And what happens? Dakota and him have this very heated exchange. Dakota shoots him and winds up staying outside and watching the world explode right in front of her, getting caught up in the incineration from the nuclear weapon. It was a wild, wild scene. And I can't stress enough just of how intense this scene got because you really didn't know what Dakota was going to do. Ever since she's been separated from her mom, Virginia, from the show, it has been a roller coaster ride with her with moments happening that you're going, what can she do next? Then we get to, I would say, the strongest performance of the show. Of this episode, rather. And that is the one and only Victor Strand, played by Coleman Domingo, who has absolutely been such a rock star on this show. Cannot stress him out how much of a great job he has done as a very conflicted Victor Strand, who you would never know what his true intentions are. And as after his botched attempt to take out Morgan and be the hero of the day, he winds up making a run, and he comes across an abandoned building, fighting his way through zombies, and he winds up going to the top floor. And this building definitely looked familiar. It reminded me of the office building that was involved in the Daryl vs. Beta fight that happened during the Whisperer season. So he is up walking around, and he walks into an art studio, hears music playing, and he comes across a character by the name of Howard. And Howard has a gun drawn on him he's like, how did you get up here? And Strand is really being very coy about everything and he's almost having like a breakdown, like a question of conscience. That he knows that he has really failed at everything he's done. And he winds up giving this story to Howard and explaining about how there was two people that were trying to stop this. One was a really good person and really went out of his way to be the hero and somebody else was trying to take the glory for themselves and just paints this picture And once he Howard goes, well, we're going to die anyway. Let's have a drink. What's your name? Strand goes Morgan Jones and completely he'll move in the world of professional wrestling. We say that phenomenal job there, but it doesn't stop because as the explosion is going to happen and you see that the missile is not going to take them out. They're too far away. Strand winds up giving this amazing new speech that justifies everything he's done on this show and basically paints himself to be the own hero in his story. That now he has taken this that everything I've done, all the lying, the cheating, the pain I've caused has been worth it. And now I can start over. And Howard, I can work with you. And we can build this world back up with the history you have. He's already working his next con. I could not mark out enough about this scene. Coleman Domingo absolutely crushed this episode right there with that little speech. Because it was the true rebirth of Victor Strand. Because now he feels justified for everything he's done. And with all the things that he has done for the survivor group, and you never knew what side he was on, he's now at a weird piece to really take this new world over. And is setting himself up to be the antagonist for next season, which bring it on. Because we still have our favorite hero, Morgan, who is now finally come to terms with what is going on, that he couldn't save the day. He does run into Grace And we finally have a resolution. Karen David and Lenny James obviously have great chemistry together. And they finally admit their feelings for each other, Morgan and Grace. And they come to the conclusion that we're accepting that we're just going to die. We don't want to live in the fallout of the nuclear warhead going off. So they have made their choice. But as they're going out to get incinerated, they come across zombie Rachel who's still carrying the baby on her back with the dog dragging them along. So as Morgan makes the kill of the zombie... He hears the baby crying. He takes this as a sign that there's still more to life to live. So this comes with some conflict going on with Grace. And they do have a little disagreement in the future, but as is everything happening, they're experiencing the fallout. They go running for shelter. They wind up surviving. And that is where we leave going into next season. So everybody has their final moments that you know where the story is heading for everybody. We know that Rachel obviously did not survive, but her baby has. We know that Daniel and company have now escaped with the CRM. What happens with them is anybody's guess. Dwight and Sherry finally got their happy ending, so to speak. But now what happens to them as the smoke finally clears from the nuclear weapon blowing up? We don't know. And for John and June, well, they're now coming to terms with living in this world that Teddy has been wiped away and they start fresh over. But the biggest question mark of everybody, not even what goes on with Morgan and Grace and the new child, but is Victor Strand, because where is his allegiance going on? And we have an idea that something happens with Alicia, too, because they did kind of show the camera angle of when the explosion goes off from herself. We don't see her, though. So that's another big X factor that we're going to have to deal with for next season. But I'm telling you this, in overall grading, this episode was a complete A- minus for me. I loved it from top to bottom. I don't like to give out perfect grades for it because I don't think everything was perfect, so to speak. But this really hit home on all fronts because not only did you get closure for all your characters, for the most part, you got really strong performances from Lenny James and Coleman Domingo. And I can't stress enough about Victor Strand's speech. I don't even want to try quoting it because he delivers it with so much emotion and intent. It will literally have you hooked. I had to put my phone down and do a double take because he really nails that point home. You understand his motivation now and basically see how he sees this world twisted as it is. But he finally has that moment where he comes to clarity for everything he's done. And now we go on to the next phase. I can't wait to see this. And there's so many questions going into next season because now with the fallout of the weapon going off, it's anybody's guess to what the landscape is going to be. And obviously we saw the CRM appear. What does that entail? Who knows? And there's so many other questions going on. I really, really, really cannot stress enough. If you are a fan of The Walking Dead franchise, if you've ever read the comic book, I am going to just tell you, jump in cold. If you don't want to go back and check out the earlier seasons of The Walking Dead, or Fear of the Walking Dead, rather, you might be a little lost. But if you jump in on that first episode of Season 6, The End is the Beginning, where we get introduced slowly to the Doomsday Cult, It will have you hooked. I remember watching this panel at New York Comic-Con, and I remember saying, wow, I haven't checked this show out, but I just got the first 10 minutes. I'm in. Like, let's see where this goes. And it was so well done, the anthology style. And then once you get the buildup, everybody has their moments. So you get caught up with everybody and seeing where they're going. And when they finally get the resolution happening with Virginia, and we get to where I think they really hit their stride with dealing with Teddy, and the performance of John Glover has been absolutely just lights out. It's sad to see him go, but like every good villain, he has to go on the show because they can't keep everybody around forever. It's The Walking Dead. And that's where this show really hits its strides. They're not afraid to kill major characters off if it makes sense to the story. And that's the big thing, that you don't have that fear aspect. No pun intended, but I know I say this every week, but it's the truth. The writers get it. This world is not exactly a nice place. It's not a happy place. You don't have those heroic moments that last forever. You have those moments that really just remind you of how miserable this place is, but yet it's the fight for the glimmer of hope that carries you through. The writers have done an amazing job with this, and I can't stress this enough. They've absolutely knocked it out of the park, doing the bringing back a lot of the horror aspect that we haven't seen from the main show in such a long time. And I'm not even going to talk about the spinoff. I don't even want to get into that. This show is should be the flagship show. I'm sold on it. I've been preaching about this every week, and I can't stop preaching about it. I'm seriously fired up to see where season seven lives. I can't even contain my excitement. I'm going to immediately start doing a rewatch because it's that good. And I'm sure there's little things I missed. And especially for me jumping in certain characters I didn't connect with and see where all the story is, but they did a good job about honing in on the major characters. You didn't really need a lot of backstory to jump in, but you got enough that you understood the major players and what was going on. And seriously, once they got to the doomsday cult, Holy shit, this show picked up steam and really drove it home, delivered on all fronts. I can't stress it enough. You need to go check it out. If you can watch it on AMC Demand, watch it on AMC Demand. However you can find this show, definitely give it another shot. And let's count down till season seven, because I'm telling you what, this season of Fear the Walking Dead has made me a fan of this series again. I can't wait to see it. And I'm telling you right now, if you haven't checked it out lately, you need to get familiar a s a p so that being said let me know on the hashtag hashtag odph pod what is your thoughts about fear the walking dead episode 16 of season 6 entitled the beginning what was your thoughts did you love it did you hate it and if you haven't checked it out yet tell me why we can have this discussion i'm all ears for it because i'm going to tell you this if you're looking for a show to binge this summer fear the walking dead is it we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back
1: Every week, something is going to make us rage. Join us every Wednesday and feel the rage.
0: Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pat, what you got for those one shots? Uh, I got one thing to talk about, and it's not
1: E3. I'm still deep diving into more of that and what happened and kind of digesting everything, so that'll be out. Uh, I'll talk about that next week's show. But the one thing I did want to touch on that jumped out at me, I went, oh, my good Lord, please let this happen. Uh, it is being reported by the Illuminati that uh, former Blade star Wesley Snipes is in talks to join John Wick 4.
0: Damn. Yo. That's going to be out of control. Give it to me now. I mean, you know what you're going to get with John Wick, so it's, it's not completely shocking but i mean everybody's gonna jump on the franchise it's like how many people are gonna be involved in fast nine yeah and the fast franchise before they go into space and at this see, point it's damn near everybody it is but you know what it's cool for john wick and you know what? definitely happy to see wesley snipes on that yeah i'm excited for it uh
1: so then for my uh comic picks this week i have alien issue number four uh nightwing issue number 81 uh, Star Wars issue number 14, and a buddy of mine uh, hinted last night at this one that I really got to read this because something crazy happens. Uh, Star Wars The High Republic Adventures issue number five.
0: Now, definitely solid picks. And I have to mention a couple more because this week we actually got a couple new blogs out doing some comic reviews, yeah. Now, our friends over at Valiant were very gracious enough to send us a copy of The Visitor 6. Mm-hmm. No, that is the final issue of the limited series by Paul Levitz and MJ Kim. Oh, okay. So, this has kind of been a little different take than you saw from the original Visitor in 1994. Okay, like if you've been following Valiant, like I am an old school Valiant fan, and that's what I really had an uh, interest in reading, like when it first came out, like the original Exo Man of War, Shadow Man, and everybody. So, seeing how the visitor is portrayed this time, it's definitely been a cool thing to see. Uh, it's definitely a different take completely, and I'm very solid on the issue. Like, I think it was a it was a great read. Interested to see where they go from here without doing too many spoilers. But if you're in for like a little high octane action, this book is going to be up your alley. And we were gracious enough to get a copy of Rangers of the Divide, number two, by Megan Huang, and dark horse comics oh okay so definitely shout out to megan i she did a great job with this book and i'm showing pad the cover now so you can kind of see a little vibe like i think this is something that is up your alley that's awesome it borrows like a little bit of different sci-fi elements i'm showing liz bailey who's in the studio as well so she approves she is approving as well so um this is a book that I think is going to be up some, your alleys especially, uh, borrows like a little bit, it has like a certain, It remind, I'm trying to find like the right words for it, because it's sci-fi mixed with fantasy, Sure. and it's the whole story of a cadet and their commander and going into these challenges that are now facing them, it's a very cool vibe to the book, and I can't stress this enough, Megan Huang's artwork in this, she writes and draws this entire book, it's fantastic, the artwork just pops off the page. And I didn't want to spoil too much of it in the Parlay Points blog because it is really that cool. That I think you definitely need to go check it out. All right. It's hitting the stores. Like I said, issue two just came out. Issue one debuted in May. It's a fun book if you like a little, I want to say like Attack on Titan vibe mixed in with a little beginnings of X-Force. Like that's the kind of vibe I got from this. And I think it's a very solid book. And like I say, the artwork, I can't stress enough. uh, Huang did uh, just a fantastic job with this. And everything she's doing over here with it, uh, I'm definitely excited to see. Issue 3 comes out July 14th. We'll kind of see where we go from there. And like I say, the artwork alone should get you to go down to the comic shop and pick this up. Yeah. So definitely, that's my two picks. So Ranger of the Divide, number two by Megan Huang. And Dark Horse Comics. And, of course, Valiant, doing Valiant things. And like I said, The Visitor 6 had just wrapped up. So if you want to, definitely go check it out. Definitely recommend picking it up. It's a good read. Solid action. Good times at the comic shop. So next up on my palette, we are talking Stargirl. Season premiere date has been announced finally. And yours truly. You know I'm excited about it. Tuesday, August 10th, it is debuting on The CW. So we finally get... Our favorite JSA team reunited with some new characters as well. The trailer came out. I'm amped up for it. I'm going to contain my excitement because I don't want to go completely yelling into the microphone Boba Fett style. But this definitely had me amped up. And if you're a fan of the JSA comic, there's there's cool modern takes on characters you're going to see in here. We're seeing some familiar faces finally make their debuts. All in all, this is a win, and if you haven't watched this show yet, start binging now so you can jump right in the premiere when it comes out August 10th, because you know, you know, I'm going to be talking about this as well. And we also got some more information on CW debuts. Okay. Because obviously we know the shows are now picking up back in production. We do have some confirmation via comicbook.com, amongst other places, that we will see the return of the Legends of Tomorrow – and Batwoman on October 13th. So that's a Wednesday. All right. We do know that Flash is returning November 16th hmm. at 8 p.m. Now, as of this recording, there is no set date for the return of Superman and Lois. We do know it has been greenlit for Season 2. Yep. So we're just waiting to hear on an official date. But obviously, they're going in. And we know this summer they're doing a little juggling back and forth with uh, Supergirl and Superman and Lois. of uh, about finishing those series off so that's kind of the only cwdc news we have at this moment yep but just the fact we're getting some trailers out and obviously getting back to a little bit of normalcy with the schedule i'm definitely here for and i can't wait to see where we go but the, the stargirls show <sighs> let's go can't wait to see that happen so that all being said the music you heard on this edition of the odph podcast that's shout at the robots they're fantastic people pad where do I go to find out more about Shout? odphpodcast.com. Right on. You go over to the music section at odphpodcast.com. You click on it. You find out everything going on with Shout at the Robots. You can't find out everything going on with Tom Jolu. New single dropping this week, too. Have you gone over to his website and signed up for the album yet? If you haven't, you need to do that. I'm telling you right now, just sign up. It's great. It's fantastic. Tom's an awesome person. You can also find everything going on with Second Suitor. They got new merch out. They got some dates lined up. Find out everything going on with Floodlands. And our good friend Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire, formerly. Now he's doing BrianWolfMusic.com. Hey. So you want to find everything going on there. Yard Party, all the great bands you hear on the ODPH podcast are right there to download and support yourself. Also at the website, you can go click on over the directory you can check out friends of the show. You can also find organizational links, supporting black lives matter. You can find all the amazing pod groups. We are in via pod chaser, because frankly, if you're in a pod group and you're not on pod chaser, are you really in a pod group? I think not. So definitely shout out everybody in the apocalypse, the fastest growing podcast community on Twitter and the inner circle who is always bringing it with the liveliest chat you'll ever be in on a DM facts. And of course, We can't forget our good friends over at 8122 Productions. Can we, Pat? Nope. So definitely want to shout out Ron, Rich, Mike C., and, of course, the man, the myth, the king of the minnows himself, Big Natty Cool Diesel, still on Twitter, Pat. Good Lord. You can only hope to contain the king, but he's not going anywhere. For all that they're doing, you just want to swing over to patreon.com slash 8122 Productions and deep dive in yourself. All of that, links to the Tee Public store, the blogs that we mentioned, so you can definitely read a little more about The Visitor and Rangers of the Divide yourself, and definitely go click on it and let me know what you think of the books when you go hit the LCS. All of that and so much more, odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only J release the Schumacher cut. Oh, damn you. Damn you. Damn you. I'm your host, Ken of. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.